Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. I first met Nancy Hogshead Makar at the LGBTQ Sports Summit, oh, seven, eight years ago. It was in Portland, Oregon, hosted by Nike, and it brought together people across the country who were focused on LGBTQ inclusion in sports. Nancy, at the time, was part of the Women's Sports Foundation, where she was she was part of the organization for years. And she's a former Olympic gold medalist and for decades has put the inclusion of women in sports at the forefront of her work. She is a lawyer and, and she's built an entire career around this stuff. A couple years ago, Nancy uh, and I started chatting about trans inclusion in sports and Nancy started uh, talking more about it. And Nancy came from a couple different places. One, that, that women, trans women and girls need to have a path to inclusion in sports. But two, that, that path that is that on April, you can't declare that you're a, a trans girl on April 4th and on April 5th uh, compete in a competitive uh, girls race, for example. A couple months ago, when Nancy announced uh, a new group that she's put together, um, called the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, uh, I was excited because for the last couple of years, I've been writing a, a lot about trans athletes. I've been writing some thought pieces, talking to a lot of people, doing a lot of listening, and trying to really figure out what is the is there a perfect policy or a best policy or a way for the heated conversation around trans athletes to stop as if you're listening to this podcast and you're a reader at Outsports, you're well aware that there are efforts across the country to ban trans girls and women from girls and women's sports, full-on bans. And, and these full-on bans have taken hold in a number of states, and they are up for debate in a number of other states. Trans girls and trans women in sports are being used as a political tool. And... I can't stand that. It, it is it is awful. It is unnecessary. It's mean, and it and it's cruel to the most vulnerable people in our population. And I I announce sports obviously completely stand against that. As does Nancy and this women's sports policy working group that she's put together. And she has and her working group have come up with a set of policies that guarantee every trans girl and every trans woman a path to inclusion. And the path can look like different things, but everyone has the opportunity to, to compete. So I was excited when I first heard about this, uh, but and I was surprised when very, very quickly I started seeing people whom I uh, like and respect really vilifying Nancy and the work that Nancy was doing, um, calling Nancy a transphobe, which flies in the face of the human being that I have known for many years. Uh, I have no, found Nancy to be incredibly warm and gracious and thoughtful and focused. Uh, as I said, she's focused her entire career on inclusion in sports, particularly uh, inclusion of women in sports. 
So to see Nancy and the work that she had been doing vilified really struck a chord in me. And I reached out to Nancy and we've had multiple conversations uh, about the work that she and her women's sports policy working group have been doing, why I support what she is doing, why I think that the paths that she has laid out and her group have laid out are paths to inclusion are thoughtful and reasonable, uh, while also telling her and, and other members of her group that I disagree with some of the things that they have said or done. One of them was just about their tagline, and it talked about protecting girls and women's sport. And I made a suggestion. Uh, and then the reason that I find that problematic is because when you say you're trying to protect girls and women's sport, it sounds like you're in a fortress and you're being um, you know, attacked or something. And it, I was, I think, really telling that that group got together and changed that word from protecting to affirming because they felt that that better represents what they're doing, affirming girls and women's sport while including transgender athletes. So there are definitely some areas that maybe could use a little bit of improvement. Uh, but what I really appreciate is the effort that they're making, their effort to listen, the effort to explain, the effort to engage people in the LGBTQ community. One of the criticisms levied against them is that they didn't have any trans people um, that they were on the, the specific uh, small working group. And Nancy speaks to that in, in the conversation. Uh, she, I know for a fact that she and her group had been reaching out to trans athletes and had been talking to people in, in the LGBTQ community. So those efforts have been made. But again, I, I really appreciate that they're, they're, they're listening and they're sharing and they're explaining. I appreciate where they ended up. I appreciate that there are, that, there, that they have created a path to inclusion uh, in, in for every trans girl and every trans woman. I appreciate that they've thought through there's a difference between recreational sports and competitive sports. And for me, I appreciate Nancy. I appreciate the effort that she is making to try to take what has become such a wedge issue, such a, 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 an issue where this country is being torn apart and trying to find a place where where people can come together and agree. Um, their proposal is just one of various different ways to approach, uh, a, a, approach girls and women's sports fr from a middle space, from a, a place of trying to bring people together. And I really, I really appreciate where they ended up and all the thought that they put into it. And I appreciate Nancy joining me in this conversation. I've been wanting to have her on this podcast to talk through some of this stuff for a year. This is a, a great time to do it. Uh, this conversation isn't going anywhere. Nancy and her working group, they aren't going anywhere. They're going to be a part of this conversation for a long time because it's important to her. It's important to her as a woman. It's important to her as an athlete. It's important to her as uh, a, a, a strong supporter of civil rights and equal rights and this conversation, you know, I, I hope one of the things you'll take away is that I asked her some tough questions and she answered them. I, I, we dive into, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the things that people are saying who don't appreciate what Nancy and her group are doing.
So I, I hope you really listen to what she had to say. Uh, I hope you take away from it the importance of a path to inclusion in sports for every trans girl and trans woman. And I hope it gives you something to think about. You're not going to agree with everything that's said on this podcast, my, no matter who you are. <laughs> I don't think any two people agree on anything in this in this area, which again is one of the reasons why I, I, I support the work that Nancy has done. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Olympic champion, civil rights advocate, equal rights advocate, and all-around amazing woman, Nancy hogshead Maker. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me. Just kind of start us off with why you started this project. Um, about two years ago, I, um, I recognized that the, the one question that I get asked over and over and over again that has nothing to do with trans athletes, but the, the issue is why do we have sex segregation in sports was now getting applied to the transition issue. So for 30 years, people have been asking me, why don't we just have one team and then just see who makes the team? And so I've been repeating myself, you know, there are some things that we as advocates, blah, 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 we just repeat ourselves so many times to our blue in the face. And one of them is in order to give girls and women an equal opportunity to participate in sports, they need their own team. And so the boundaries of this sports category here is one that I've been enforcing for, you know, over 30 years, as I said. And um, when I saw that it was going to be applied over to the uh, to the trans issue, to me, the main issue was <clears throat> um, how do we keep sports from uh, being the place that people uh, express their hatred of trans people? Um, how do we keep that from happening? How do we make it a warm and welcoming place? How do we how do we keep um, transphobes from, from, you know, from, from using this sex segregation, this weird sex segregation? It is the only place pretty much in society that we sex segregate for biological reasons. Um, you know, nowhere else, the math class, the pretty much we, we just don't sex segregate very much or we don't religiously segregate, we don't racially segregate, but we do sex segregate when it comes to competitive sports. So how can we take this thinking and then and, and still have, have uh, sports be a welcoming place for trans people? You know, when you say that, it, it completely conflicts with the things that I got immediately told when you announced this. People who don't know you, many people told me that that you were transphobic and that you were creating this organization really to um, to keep trans athletes uh, out of sports. Why do you think it is that people, as soon as they saw what you were doing, went there? That you were really secretly trying to keep trans girls out of girls' sports? Because what you just said is the complete opposite. Right. So there are two camps right now. And if you don't do a lot of thinking, it's easy just to be into one camp. So one camp says unconditional inclusion, no matter what. And the other camp says unconditional exclusion, no matter what. So we're in the middle, which is, um, you know, if somebody 
does not have sex-linked advantages, right? If they have not gone through male puberty, in other words, there's just no reason not to include them into girls and women's sports. So these, this total exclusion is just inappropriate. And then two is, um, is we, we, we have a number of recommendations for if somebody does have sex-linked advantages, that how can they still be included in women's sports, but without having head-to-head -head competition? So our proposals only apply to competitive sports. They do not apply to uh, recreational sports or intramural sports or, or you know, those kinds of sports. So, so I think that's why, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people in the, the people who are in the total exclusion field don't like us either in that they see they say that um, just having a Y chromosome is enough to keep them out of girls and women's sports categorically. So our inclusion, like they don't like that. And then the, the part about uh, trans athletes, um, you know, who do have a sex-linked advantage. I mean, they're, they're kind of two camps within those that have the sex-linked advantage. One group is um, those that are unmitigated, so right, so they 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 identify as being female, but they uh, don't want to go on any gender-conforming hormones. They don't want to have surgery, etc. So um, right, so there's that group, and then there's another group who has uh, undergone uh, hormone therapy for a number of years, and um, or maybe has gone through surgery. So right, so even those two groups, competitive-wise, they have they're in a very different position. I've seen some of the uh, the people who are against any kind of inclusion come after you, saying that you are and and you are trying to push uh, trans kids at, at twelve years old to get hormone therapy um, and and ruin puberty and ruin their lives. Um, but I know that we've talked and you've said that you're not pushing anyone to do anything, but but to participate in sports. You think that's a necessary step. No, no, no. I'm I, again. Yeah, you're you're spot on. We're not uh, saying anything about requiring people to go on hormones. That's a hundred percent up to the doctor or not the doctor. But there are a number of medical conditions where somebody has an XY chromosome, and um, but they never go through male puberty. It's called being testosterone resistant. They look female, but they have internal testes, not ovaries. And, um, you know, it's just no reason for them. Uh, in, in a lot of the cases when they used to do the sex testing, so I was sex tested in the 1984 Olympics, is uh, they did a cheek swab and they were just testing for XXXY. And it caught a lot of people who were in that XY category who, um, uh, who, who don't have a male advantage. They're, they're taller, they tend to be taller, but uh, they're not, you know, they, they don't, there's no reason not to include them right into the girls and women's category. That's why it's just not appropriate to say pure biology. I, I know it's important to you to, uh, to try to gain the trust of trans athletes, but some of the, some of the things that I've heard, um, I just figured let's just address them out in the go, open. Go. Um, number one is, you know, when you announced the working group back in February, uh, there were no trans people on the core working group. And that concerned a lot of people. It looked like you were excluding trans athletes from their own conversation. Tell me about that. Well, this is the group that is meeting once a week that is on a Zoom call once a week that had homework every week and that, right? So 
this was the group that was mostly willing to work. But I think now, I mean, when you look at our supporters and these are people that have reviewed extensively what it is that our proposals are and are full on supporters. So they don't need to be involved in that if they wanted to be, but most people don't want to do that much work to, um, to be involved. But, you know, right now we're, um, I think a lot of people, um, uh, you know, really trust the, the trans athletes that we have. I mean, what, one of my criticisms that I have of the trans inclusion groups is that they did not go to women's sports advocates and they did not go to, um, <clears throat> to where women's sports is, such as um, the, um, the uh, Athletes Advisory Council for the Olympic Commission or for uh, the World Olympians Association, or, right, they did not reach out to those groups at all saying, hey, we wanna actually expand this category. And here's why, and here's what we, here's the science on it. They did not go to those groups at all. Um, Understood, so, but, but, I, but, I, but I, I do wanna press you on this. Did yeah, you sure. reach out to, did you attempt to include trans people on your working group. I understand it's been a lot of work, but yeah. did you try? Oh, I mean, not only did we try, but we have supporters, right? And I don't really get the difference between the working group and the supporters. The supporters are- Let me challenge you. You know, it's kind yeah, of like, yeah. it's really the seat at the table and you can have a seat at the parents' table or you can have a seat at the kids' table. And the, you know, the working group, the people who are doing the work seems like that's the parents table and the support. It's great to have the supporters, but, you know, actually doing the work, making the decisions of what the working group is going to put out there. That's really the, the core group. And I, I think there is a difference. I, I, you're absolutely right. You have trans supporters. Um, Juniper's on there. Curse, you have various trans athletes, 100 percent. But I, yeah. I do think that there's a there's a legitimate question about, you know, have one trans person on that working core working group? Um, well, I can tell you that the trans athletes that we had, like Juniper and um, and others, um, that they had veto authority, that they could have gotten looked at our materials and said, "You cannot include this," and it would have not been included, or right. But we would have looked at that in a really serious way if we thought that some proposal wasn't being framed right or you know was you know somehow uh overly harsh or whatnot yeah uh, so so i mean i mean did we involve did we have did trans people have input absolutely but again when you talk about inclusion you can't just talk about the inclusion right, is this is the whole sports community needs to be involved in this discussion. And when you look at like who was involved in the IOC rule, who was involved in the NCAA rule, it was a very narrow group of people. And there was never an effort to try to get elite athletes on board. Fair enough. I, I agree that when you when you have these conversations, um, all, all kinds of women have to be included, uh, you know, cis and trans, all different races, ages, totally right. agree. It, this is not just for a conversation for, for one kind of woman, it's a conversation for all kinds of women. 
Um, another, another criticism that I heard right off the bat, and I'll take a little credit for, for working through this, is your tagline was protecting women's sports. I think it was while including trans athletes. And, and I, you know, I, I, um, I shared with some of your group that I thought that, that protecting women's sports made it seem like you were a castle under attack, women's sports was. And, and, and there was a suggestion that change that protecting to affirming, and you made that decision to, to change that. Why did you change it? Right. Well, also the word protecting, I, we, what we didn't want to do is convey this idea that somehow transgender people are sexual deviants, right? The way that sort of gay and lesbian people tend to be um, maligned. So, right, so we, we, we do want to enforce the boundaries of the, um, of the girls and women's category. This is who's included in this group here. Um, but again, right, as soon as, as, soon as you and others uh, said, Right. This is what's a, is offensive about that. Right. We changed it right away. We're not, you know, we're, we're we, we really don't want to be, um, we, we don't want to add to trans people's misery. But at the same time, we do want to um, have girls and women's sports be a, a place that girls and women can excel, can get scholarships, can break the record, can win can get notoriety and fame, um, right? All the things that uh, Megan Rapino just talked about at the White House about, you know, the in the equal pay case that they have going on. We, we wanna make sure that there is this um, opportunity for half the population to be able to be successful. And, and I appreciated that. I know a lot of people appreciate it. I appreciate that there's listening going on, right? And that, that to me is, is so important. And, and I know that, um, you know, there's the last kind of thing that I hear is this, you know, the use of the term biological sex. Mm -hmm. And I know this is, this is such a, this is such a tough um, conversation. There's so much education and science going on behind these conversations. I just wanted to give you an opportunity just to talk about that term, why use that term, on, and, and, and any conversation about shifting to an, an, another term that maybe trans athletes may not find as, quote, offensive. Offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've asked other trans athletes and just other trans advocates, like, what other term could we use that includes the science of sex? Right. So, and so far, nobody's been able to give us one. So we're, we want to make that the scientific distinction between, um, right, between identity and the biology of sex. And uh, I don't know of another way to do it. Um, but if somebody has an idea, we're all ears. <laughs> Again, I appreciate you're, you're willing to listen and, and, and willing to yeah, adjust. Sure. Um, yeah. I want to talk about uh, South Carolina. Uh, why uh, was it important to you to testify? And, 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 and obviously the legislators ate up what you had to say. They gave you, I think, 80% of the questions that they had. Yeah. Why was it important to you to, to testify? Yeah, interestingly enough, <clears throat> our group has only testified on behalf of uh, expanding when a Republican legislature is trying to push through a trans exclusion bill. Um, it's just the way that, you know, we've, it's just sort of the way that it's happened. Um, 
the idea that girls and women should sort of give up what it is that I've been working for 30 years for girls and women to be able to have in sports and sort of should be gracious about it. <laughs> it should be, you know, opening up the category. Um, I think that that rings true and people who, when, when you can approach them and say, hey, this is overly restrictive and it's very hateful and you're making people's lives more difficult, that's when you've got the opening. It was interesting as you were testifying, and I, I was I was listening. That what I got um, largely was, you know, trying to stop South Carolina from creating this all-out ban, which ultimately they they unfortunately did. I saw a trans advocate on Twitter really coming after you for your testimony. Um, one of the things that they said was that you have been at the forefront of pushing for responsibility for doctors and other people in and around sports for sexually abusing and assaulting women and girls. This person said that you literally undid 30 years of work in that space because you were advocating now for doctors doing uh, essentially inspections of sexual organs to participate. Um, is that what you were doing? That's just ridiculous. I mean, um, so first the nitty gritty, which is does, uh, does any trans policy that takes being trans into account, does it require genital examinations of anybody? The answer is no. Doctors know whether or not they're, so on a regular form that every athlete signs, whether or not they have a heart condition or eyesight condition, they only have one kidney, et cetera. When they're filling out that form, what their, what their biological sex is and what their hormone status is, is well known by the physician. And those are just boxes that get checked. And then it goes and it's part of somebody's personal medical information that is not widely shared, but is known to the sports organizing committee. So this idea that really you're asking for people to do genital examinations is absurd. And we actually address that specifically. And then two is this idea that it would be possible for me to eradicate 30 years of work dealing with sexual abuse in the Olympic movement. Uh, I've gotten two federal statutes passed that rework the Olympic movement that make everybody in the Olympic movement covering 16 million athletes a mandatory reporter that gives athletes a private cause of action to be able to recover against their national governing body or the United States Olympic Committee if they don't do enough to protect athletes from physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. It's just ridiculous. You can't undo those statutes that I had done. And, and to hear you talk about it, it sounds like this, this isn't even in conflict with that work in any way. No, 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 not, not at all. Not, as I said, um, athlete, every athlete, you <laughs> think about when you were in high school, every athlete has to fill out the medical form that tells the school and the national, the governing body, whether in Florida, it'd be the Florida High School Athletic Association or the NCAA or whoever it is, the Olympic Committee, what medical conditions that somebody has. Um, you know, the, the, the cases actually are rife with, um, 
people who say only have one eye but still want to compete in say football or rugby or something where like they could lose the other eye um, and courts are very deferential to the uh, state high school athletic associations or in or NCAA what about whatever rules that they want to for safety um, to protect the athlete kind of from themselves right they only have one kidney really do you want to participate in football um, so so there, there's really no difference in uh, in in the kind of medical information that you're asking for yeah and for them to say that is you know, they're just, um, they're really not trying to uh, find places of agreement that we may have. Um, you know, if, if somebody believes in unconditional um, inclusion and they think that somebody can, uh, can uh, have their gender identity change one day and move on to the girls and women's teams the next day, we're going to disagree, but it's, it's a, it, 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 is, it is a disagreement. It is, um, you know, I would fight really hard for that person who identifies as female to still be able to compete on the men's team. I would fight really hard for a, um, a biological female who identifies as male to be able to compete on the women's team um, when, as long as they don't take gender affirming hormones, right? So again, it's about the science. It's not about um it's not about you sure. know prejudice bigotry. we know of a couple of trans girls who have had success in in connecticut um but some of the some of the people who are on that you know at the high school level all in on inclusion on april 4th they can they can announce that they are a trans girl and on april 5th they can go run in, in a, a, a a girl's 100 meter dash um but, but by and large, we are not seeing trans girls winning national championships, setting state records. If it's not happening, some people say, you know, you're creating a problem where there isn't one. What would we say to those people? That <clears throat> protecting the boundary is not, I would, um, the reason why, for the most part, you haven't seen a lot of trans athletes winning is because in the NCAA and in the Olympic Committee, they do need to be on gender affirming hormones. So um, for a substantial amount of time in order to be able to compete. Um, I think, you know, there just have not been that many states like Connecticut, where there is this unconditional inclusion type policy. But, but you know, the, the the fact that there aren't a lot of them doesn't mean that it doesn't impact the integrity of the competition. So as an example, an athlete that unwittingly takes performance enhancing drugs, unwittingly, meaning they had no fault in it. So somebody else spiked their drink or somebody else, you know, when they were getting, thought they were getting a vitamin C shot and it was actually testosterone or something. Okay, so they find that they have a performance enhancing drug in their system, guess what? Every um, every sports organization uh, would still ban that athlete for a substantial amount of time, not because they did anything wrong, but because it impacts the integrity of the, of, of the competition itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. I understand this. What you're essentially saying is you can't measure this by, uh, you know, how many state championships a certain group wins. It's about more than that. It's about a broader perspective of women's and girls sports than just winning and Correct. losing. Correct. 
Uh, last area I want to talk about is the Equality Act, because uh, you, you know you've you've come out and you've said um, <clears throat> that fully endorse the Equality Act. However, this one corner that needs to be a sports carve out. To you, what would that sports carve out look like? The sports carve out would be a, uh, a place that already exists in law in both Title IX, Title VII, and in uh, the 1978 um, Olympic and Amateur Sports Act that specifically allow for sex segregation. And remember, we talked about this at the beginning of the program about how that it's weird to have sex segregation in anywhere in society, but to not allow what is currently allowable um, would do a big disservice. So if the Equality Act passed as it is, two major impacts, one is the NCAA would not be able to have its current rule. Um, the NCAA would uh, would have to abandon that and it would be just like high school um, that, um, uh, somebody that could compete purely based on gender identity. So that's number one. But number two, probably even more important is any international competition that comes to the United States. Um, the, the Men's World Cup in 2026, 20, the Women's, um, or excuse me, the Olympics that are in 2028, um, they could not enforce the International Olympic Committee rule that our rules here in the United States would say on US soil, there cannot be that, that uh, sex discrimination equals gender identity discrimination. And there are just a few places where biology actually matters, not very many, but sports is one of them. So sports, there's another group that's trying to get a, a, a very small exception for medical testing. We've done a lot for uh, to make sure that new drugs when they come on the market actually get tested on women as well as men. And uh, uh, the third is pregnancy. So right to have these, these carve-outs, pregnancy is already in the, the Equality Act as a carve-out, um, but we need to have these other two places. Again, not very many places that biology matters. It doesn't matter in public accommodations. It doesn't matter in um, education broadly. It doesn't matter in employment. It doesn't matter in family law. It doesn't matter in, in marriage or adoption or any of that, it only matters biologically in just a few places. And we need to uh, make sure that we have those. I've talked to somebody close to the Equality Act about this. They said that um, you're wrong. They said that uh -huh. the Equality Act does not stop the NCAA from continuing with its, with its policy. What, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe there's I don't a longer question about what exactly, because I'm trying to figure out Who's right here? I, I, I just, because I don't know, I'm not going to, what is it? It's, it's, a, it's a long, I guess I better go read the document for myself, but I got two conflicting people here telling me. Yeah, okay, I'll, okay. So, so go look in the Equality Act and see, like just Google the word in the Equality Act, sports or athletics or um, competition, and you won't find it in there. And so if there's not an exception, then everything's going to apply. So if sex discrimination equals gender identity discrimination and the legislature already had a, an opportunity to look at, at athletics and decided not to, if you have a, the, the legislative history of something, um, a court interpreting a statute 
has to go with that legislative history and has to look at the plain text meaning of the statute and said, there's no exception here. And they tried to get an exception, it didn't pass. And so therefore the legislature must not wanted, wanted it to have passed. I don't see, I mean, I've been teaching first year law forever. And this is like a basic principle that first year law school students would, would be looking at in, um, you know, how do you do statutory interpretation? How do you look at a statute and what's a court gonna say about it? How can, a, how can an administrative agency after it gets passed in the legislature, how does the executive branch come up craft rules? And if those rules are inconsistent with the statute, then they fail, they fail. So well, if you come up, if you, I've actually asked a lot of other people, the ACLU and others, tell me how exactly that, uh, that the NCAA rule and the IOC rule could survive after the Equality Act. And I have not gotten an answer. Well, you know what? I will press them myself. I, I, I have not contacted the ACLU, so that, that will be uh, my next contact. Nancy, I really appreciate you. Um, you and I have known each other for years. I, I've admired your work. Uh, I know you to not be a transphobic person. I've known you to be incredibly inclusive, thoughtful with your work. I appreciate what you've put forward. I think that a, a, I'm all for everyone having a reasonable path to inclusion and participation. And I feel like that's something that you and your working group have put forward. Um, and, and I know that you know those of us in the middle get yelled at from both very, very, very loud sides. And, and it's, I, know it's, I know it's not easy. And I appreciate you continuing to listen um, and, and ad advance your work. How can people support what you're doing? Um, if you go onto our website, uh, Women's Sports Policy Working Group, and we have a place where people can sign on and be supportive. Um, we already have 50 or so Olympians and Paralympians that have signed on. We have a number of very prominent sport leaders. Our, the number of people that are, that are, are joining our supporters list, are fit, the, the, our supporters are very, very elite athletes. Chris Everett just joined us. Um, so we already had Pam Shriver and of course Martinez on the on the 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 once a week calls, but um, um, yeah, but so that that's a good way to be supportive of what it is that we're doing and really to recognize that there are these two extreme sides out there. They don't see each other as extreme. They see each other as if if you knew somebody who was transgender and you loved them what policies would you want to enact that still gave half the population an equal opportunity to participate in sports? That's, that's where we're coming from. Great, I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, I really appreciate you answering some tough questions. I, I, I wanted that about this conversation because I, I think you know where I'm coming from. I, I hope you do. And yeah, yeah, asking those tough questions that are going on in the trans community, I think can only help. So I appreciate that. Nancy had a very nice sign off that dummy here somehow didn't record. So apologize for that, Nancy, but thank you for joining me. Some of the things that jumped out to me in this conversation, one that Nancy was sex tested while she was competing with the Olympics, but that was interesting uh, that that the working group is about doing work and that they have this group of supporters who have 
strong voices in the work, but that, that the working group is really about that first word, work. And so, you know, I would talk to her about why don't you have trans people in the working group. I, I thought her answer was interesting, um, you know, somewhat satisfying. I think some people won't find it satisfying, but I, I, I understood and heard her and appreciated that the trans voices do have a lot of power in their group. I think that's important. And the conversation about the word biological sex is, I think, another interesting part. I'd be curious to hear if anybody has thoughts on medical terms to use other than biological sex. That's what Nancy is looking for. So if you're out there and have that, the working group would definitely consider changing the language. I thought it was interesting that she, you know, she's not married to this term that they ended up using, which has been co-opted by uh, some anti-trans people. So I listen, I got a lot out of that conversation. Like I said at the beginning, I support the work that Nancy's doing. I I frankly agree where with where they ended up. I, I think that you, over time there there should be some kind of transition period for trans athletes when they're going to be competing. Um, but and that that transition needs to be reasonable. You can't say, "Oh yeah, well there's a path to inclusion." But it's you know it's eight years of hormone therapy or or whatever whatever it is it has to be reasonable, and you know you can reasonably uh, create mitigation standards for kids when they're you know 14 and 15 and 16. A lot of them are transitioning at that age already, um, so it's it'll be interesting to see where this ends up. And I, I again I I appreciate the work that everybody frankly is doing in this space. Whether you agree with where Nancy's ended up or disagree, I appreciate everybody pushing for a path to inclusion for all trans girls and trans women in sports. Thank you very much for listening. This is just a continuation of this conversation. You're going to see a lot more of this as conversations about the Equality Act and other topics continue to, to bubble across the country and around the world. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.